Thanks for having me. Uh, I miss my son, Frankie. He's uh, on a cruise, a, a Disney World cruise with uh, my grandchildren. And uh, my, I've got six children altogether. I've got three boys and three girls. And I've got three grandchildren. And one is in the oven with my oldest daughter. So I'm going to have four grandchildren. And I need for the others to get with the program. Man, I love children. I love your children. I love everybody's children. I love watching kids. I just don't want to take care of them for you. They're a lot of fun. Uh, What I'm about to tell you uh, concerning men is really in line with what I want to preach to you this morning. Uh, Just using some examples at the church that I pastor, uh, we're trying to, for the past 18 months to two years, to man up our church try to put more masculinity into the services and into, really, into a lot of the events that we're having at our church. It's not that we're not happy with the women that we have. We're very happy, and we're not changing anything when it comes to that. We just believe that the women of our church, the wives of our church, are extremely excited about men, their husbands, their fathers, their sons, taking their rightful position in the kingdom of God. And I, and I know that the majority of churches often are more populated with women than, than there is for men. Uh, there's lots of reasons for it. You can study that to see what the reasons are. However, I just really believe it pleases the Lord to see men just really rising to the occasion and, once again, taking the rightful positions in the kingdom of God, putting more masculinity into the church. Just recently, we had a, um, a men's retreat, three days, two nights in the woods, if you would, and we all grew beards. This is the remainder of my, um, my, my beard. We all grew gnarly uh, beards. We didn't try to trim it. We just let it go gnarly, just crazy. And the theme was Duck Dynasty was really what we were trying to, trying to capture. Uh, and we wore camo and all that kind of good stuff. And, and we just got into these cabins and 110 men just, just gnarly in it together, preaching about the great men of God and stuff like that. And when we came back from those three days, of course, the wives wanted them to shave and and all that was good, you know, whatever you wanted to get back to. And I'm sure that this goatee will eventually disappear. And yes, I do have gray hair and this is really a bad color right now. I'm looking like Superman blue right now. But nevertheless, (laughs) nevertheless, there's, there's just something about a church that has a group of men that are at least commensurate with the desire for God like you often see women that have a desire for God. Just to qualify what I'm saying so as not you to think that I have a problem with women in ministry, we have at our church, we have four full-time assistant pastors. Two of them are male, two are female. And the two females are not gratuitous positions. They're actually uh, preachers and teachers. They're paid well. They are administrators. They are much like uh, your, your pastor, Sarah, that takes full position with the everyday activities and the business of the church. They actually keep our church going. Uh, I have to say that to you. And uh, your Sarah is our, our Brenda, and they do a great job. And man, they can, when I'm gone, like right now, uh, we have a female preacher. It's not from my staff. Uh, we have Krista Black preaching for us right now. She's an amazing preacher. She's a teacher and as well as a poet. So to make things more clear, I, I don't have 
any difficulty with the leadership of women. I just want men to do more of what they're called to do. I want to bring that 40 percentile population up to that 50 or 60 percent. And I know it makes marriages better. I know it makes families more close or closer, if you would. I I know that they make better fathers. I've done all the statistical studies on this, on why it's better for men to get more involved. I'm trying to introduce to you this word desire. Can we all say desire? Desire. Say desire. Desire. Desire is really the direction I'm trying to go. Desire for God. More desire for God is actually what we need an injection of. I know that there are churches all over the country that are called megachurches, and that's wonderful. But many churches really just have a lot of talent, a lot of ability, and a lot of education. And that does not really resound well when the desire for God suffers. A church does better. A community does better. When congregants have such a hunger and a thirst for God that they are really in a place where they are frustrated and desperate in their prayers and in their life. I know it's difficult for Christians these days, especially in these last days, and you know that that really is my candy stick, preaching on the end times, preaching on the coming of the second coming of Christ and the rapture, seeing how things are coming down with wars and rumors of wars and things like that. However, as we get closer toward the end, I notice that there's a waning, if you would, of a desire for God. It, it has a, um, a distaste in the mouth of, of, of the world. They call us or those of us that have a, lack, a, a great desire for God, fanatics or fanatical. And as a matter of fact, if you're considered evangelical, in some governmental writings, you may even be considered a terrorist because evangelicals are proselyting. And a proselyting Christian means that, and an evangelical person means that you vigorously witness, that you are always asking whether or not this person has Christ in their life and make great strides and attempts to convert people. This is all often considered to be terroristic, if you would. Uh, I want you to know that there's a scripture that encourages you to be that kind of a desperate, fanatical, witnessing person. The Bible says this, knowing the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Knowing the terror, in other words, the judgment of the great day of the Lord, what he is going to judge, who he is going to judge, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And so we as people often kind of give into the social pressures so that we're not coined as a fanatical. I don't know why it is, but churches have an affinity toward the world. But I will tell you this, the world does not have an affinity toward the church. The world does not want to become the church. But the church, for some reason, around the world has a a desire to become worldly so that it's appealing to worldly people. I want you to know that when I got into the church, I was a very worldly person. Uh, And if you could just let your imagination run without a, 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 a father after the age of nine years old, 
living in the streets of New York City in Boston, my mother working all day long, just let your imagination go. I did as I pleased, and I came home when I pleased. And, and I have to say, I was not a good person. And when I came to church, I wasn't really looking for a church that acted like me. I wanted a church that would help me, change me, uh, change my language, cause me to become born again. You know, when we see fanatical people uh, over football games and baseball games where they paint their whole bodies with blue or red, like very much like, what's the name of your basketball team down here? I keep forgetting. It, they're just never in the playoffs. I, I, what's their name? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I told the nine o'clock service. I've been here in Texas since '89. Three of my children were born here in Houston. Uh, however, it's really tough to be fanatical over a team that you just can't. Well, you never know what they're going to do. I mean, I've been around since the Oilers, where they they tease you, 27 to nothing, and they will still lose. I don't understand how that happens. But I remember the Kareem Elijahwan days where we won two years in a row as the Houston Rockets. And I was out in the street with my sons going crazy. Yahoo! Blowing bonds and tipping over cars and lighting them on fire. I was with you. <laughs> and then Michael, uh, Michael Jordan came back uh, out of retirement and that was the end of that. Uh, but I, I just don't understand why people that stand in the stands, why is it always the people that paint their bodies blue and red, why are they always so gigantic? Why don't they paint people that have abs? Why, why is it always the fat ones? Why is it always the, the, the gnarly looking people? I don't know, but we don't think twice about seeing a man painted blue on one side, red on the other side, writing words and, 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 and tailgating and going screamy and being drunk. We find that very much part of society. But if you talk about Jesus Christ, oh my goodness, it's like you've just did something bad. It's out of place. You can read a, a, an adult magazine on, on your break, maybe, at, at a plant or, or, or at a job site or even in an office, I don't know, uh, but try doing, reading your Bible. Try, it's an offensive thing, uh, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, there are laws that have been passed that you cannot speak about Jesus Christ in public places, in certain cities, in certain states. You need, you need to get all kinds of uh, approvals. I remember days you could just flip a garbage can upside down in the middle of a square and just start preaching in the name of Jesus and you'd have a small little gathering. Not anymore. Those days are almost all gone because you're considered fanatical. I want to talk about our churches changing in that way. Our church becoming, well, more desirous for God. My sermon is going to be really about not for everyone here. My sermon is going to tantalize those of you that are rumbling maybe in your spirit with a great desire to find more of God. As a matter of fact, you cannot get enough of God. Where I'm going to encourage you that no matter what you see around you, it's not going to really mean a hill of beans difference whether they're hungry for God are not hungry for God. I was driving just the other day uh, in my car with my family in the car, and I, and I said, because I was really hungry, and I said, who's hungry? And no one was hungry. And I find that a, a real, real irritating thing when you're hungry, but nobody in the car is hungry. Aren't you hungry? You're not hungry? Did you eat? No, I'm just not hungry. How about your kids? Anybody want to stop for some food? No, Daddy, we're not hungry. But I'm hungry. 
Haven't you ever been like that in church when you're hungry, but it seems like nobody else is hungry? I have gone to restaurants and I've told my family, you're going to sit there and, and drink pine, pine floats, which is a glass of water and a toothpick, and I'm going to eat. I don't care if you're not going to. I'm hungry because I have, last night my daughter says, uh, who wants pizza? And uh, no one said me at all. Uh, she was the only one. And she says, Daddy, you want pizza? No, I don't want any pizza. I'm watching TV. Uh, do you want some pizza? Is he? No, the, my wife. Nobody wanted any pizza. They said, is Jonathan coming home? Maybe he wants pizza. No, he's not coming home. Oh, well, I, well, I can't eat the whole pizza myself. I'll give it a try, she said, but I, I can't eat it all myself. And, and it's really a downer when you're the only hungry person in the car or the only hungry person in the room or even the only spiritually hungry person in the church. I am not displacing myself in a way that I'm saying that it's not right for you not to have a desire for God. I'm only speaking to those that do. That if you're so hungry for God, maybe you might want to ask yourself, did you get that way yourself? Or did God put that hunger in you? Did God put that thirst in you? Because I have to say that when a person is really hungry, he or she cannot hide that desire. Uh, I, I do counseling sessions throughout the day. When I get hungry, uh, if you're in the room, you know I'm hungry. Not only will I tell you I'm hungry, but my stomach will tell you that I'm hungry. And I think that spiritual people are like that. I think that spiritual people have, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to really say it right. I, I think that they're just not 100% in the conversation all the time. Where they're not always 100% on the job. I think there's a certain percentage of, of hungry, spiritually hungry people that are just over there on the sidelines, mentally and spiritually, wishing to God that they could have more of God. Can anybody say amen at all? Amen. I'm in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 30. And verses 15 through 16 has very strange scriptures. And I, and I hope that you'll follow along with me. I will not keep you long. That's pretty much what Elizabeth Taylor told all of her husbands. I won't keep you very long. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 30, verses 15 through 16, it says, <clears throat> The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. This is what leeches are saying. Give, give, more, more, more. More blood, more, it's gross, but that's the way it is. There are three things, Solomon said, that are never satisfied. Oh, wait a minute. Four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land, which is never satisfied with water, and fire, which never says enough. I want to preach to you on, on this thought. The leech has two daughters. The leech has two daughters. I have to say that all of these things that I just listed to you have a, an incredible desire for more and more, and they never say enough. They never say, slow down, I'm bottlenecking. All of these things want more. And I'm not saying that this is bad, and I'm not preaching about being uh, greedy. I'm preaching that this is a good thing to want more. You want to make during the sermon the association that you want more of God much like these things that I'm trying to identify. The leech, for instance, which is very, very gross. 
the leech, and I'll try to make this as fast as possible because it is kind of early for you, and it's just not on the top of your list of talk about things. But leeches are disgusting, and they're usually in water. They are in water. And, and they, they, they cling a hold of you or anything or even a horse. You know, you can get your, uh, and these things are parasites, and they literally cling on to you, and they suck blood right out of you. And as they do, and I'm almost done, so hang on there. I know that it's disgusting, but as they suck blood out of you, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. They, they get as big, I'm just making this up, I don't really don't know, as big as golf balls, as big as softballs, as big as a uh, basketball. But they just keep in, in, in ingesting as much blood as you will let them. I remember we were going down a river once when I was in a Boy Scout. We were in New Hampshire. Uh, you could tell that this is not a, a, a deep south accent. I'm from New York, Boston area. And up in New Hampshire, uh, we were going down a river, and me and Johnny Spampanato kind of curved out into a small tributary where we looked down at all around our waist, and on our upper thighs, we had these leeches all over us. And it was disgusting, but we, as New Yorkers, we didn't know what a leech was. We thought they were little fishies just eaten off of us until we tried to pull them off. And we realized, after somebody told us, they said, ooh, you've got leeches all over you. We didn't know what a leech was, but it sounded horrible. So we yelled, what's a leech? And they say, it's sucking blood out of you. And of course, we started screaming and tried to pull them off. And they said, you cannot pull these leeches off. You've got to, uh, of course, you've got to put a match to it or a cigarette to it or whatever you do. And these guys, they were all excited because many of the, the Boy Scouts, they had matches. Uh, and and they, wanted to, they wanted to light us on fire because they wanted all these leeches to get off. And so we get out of the water and we're screaming. We just put our hands up and they were lighting matches and, and, and they were missing and, and we, were, we didn't know what we wanted. We didn't know we, we wanted to be burnt by the fire or we wanted the leeches to just keep sucking our blood out of us. But the leeches never stopped and told each other, wait a minute, too much blood. Give me, give me a break, give me a break. They don't say that. As a matter of fact, leeches never say enough. They cry What? More. Everybody say more. 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 In Solomon, when he was writing this proverb, he was trying to make it clear to the readers. This is how you should be when you're serving God. It's a rare thing for a person, forgive me for this analogy, for you to be like a leech. To want more and more of God. These leeches go... They don't stop. They just keep going like a machine. Do they sleep? I don't know. I just know that they just keep ingesting. Where do they put it all? They're not like us when we get full and we stop. They just keep getting bigger and bigger. Could you imagine if that's what happens to us? Well, actually it does, doesn't it? But there is something about a leech that just doesn't say enough. Something else that's on the same thing is, is uh, dry land. Dry land is, uh, potch land is never, ever satisfied with water, you never see ground saying, no more, no, we can't, I'm drowning. Or like the Gulf Coast, the Gulf Coast never rises, not one inch, even though the Mississippi River comes into it, uh, uh, the Ohio River, and whatever rivers come into the Gulf Coast, I should have had that ready, I said the same thing during the nine o'clock service, but these rivers are pouring into the Gulf Coast, but it never rises, not one inch. Could you imagine if the Gulf Coast, as like a hole in the ground, is like one big mouth just bringing in these rivers, and then it stops. 
I've been sucking all this water for years. I need a break. I need a break. Stop the rivers from flowing. No. Parched land, gulfs, they never say enough is enough. Do we have anybody in any church that says that about wanting God? I've never met somebody that says I have enough of God. I've never met anybody that thinks that they know God or understand God fully. All the desire that builds up inside of you when you're praising the Lord and you're worshiping God, all of that is a hunger that is so insatiable that you will never be able to satisfy your longing for God. God never gives you enough that will ever satisfy you because it's an impossibility. We barely know and understand God, much like a small piece of your fingernail that may have fallen to the ground. We barely understand God any more than a caterpillar crawling across the face of a, of a Rolex watch. And once it crosses over the face of the watch, then that caterpillar comprehends all the mechanisms and all the makings of how a watch works. Well, of course that caterpillar doesn't understand anything about a watch any more than we would understand the makings and the workings of God. The reason for that is that God is the only one of his species. He is not a human being. He has no eyes. He has no ears. He has no mouth. He has no feet. He is a spirit. The Bible says God is a spirit. And them that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is the only one of his kind. He has no mummy and he has no daddy. He was never born. He has no beginning. How does that... Does that no one, I can't get that in my head. How do you not have a beginning? I had a beginning. You had a beginning. I had a mom and a dad. Something must have happened during some honeymoon because here I am. I was born in 1956. I was born in Boston in St. Elizabeth's Hospital. I know exactly where it is. I actually even have the card that they place inside of the, the little basket where you're born. It's a boy with the little um, balloons. I have that in my desk. I've got that. I don't know why I still have that, but I have that in my desk drawer just to prove, see, I'm a human being. I was actually born. I'm not a Cylon. And so because of this, God has created all of these things and all these wonderful things. And what he wants and what he's looking for is somebody that wants more of him. Somebody that is so hungry for him that's going to make the difference between a church and just a gathering. There is a difference between a church and a Kiwanis club. A difference between a church and a rotary club. There's a big difference between a group of praise and worship people and one big gigantic YMCA. Whenever you gather the people of God together and they have such a desire to serve and worship the Lord that their desire is so massive that they are crying, more, more, we want more of God. We can have an awakening in this church. It would just take just one or two people. An awakening means something more than a revival. I've spoken to this congregation about an awakening before. My church that I pastor, I drive them crazy about an awakening. An awakening is is a revival on steroids. A revival usually means that there is a revived spirit within that congregation. But an awakening not only affects that congregation, but affects the city and affects the state and often affects the entire nation. 
There has been places that has actually had that in Scotland and also in the New England area during the late 1700s and 1800s, especially during Jonathan Edwards, where he preached the most popular message in the hands of an angry God. There was a great awakening that took place, and most of these have one common denominator, and that is one or two people that could not get enough of God. They were so eaten up with desire for God that it changed the tide of the entire congregation, nay, the city. Now, you may be one of those people. Now, let me warn you about something. Whenever you get so eaten up with desire, the devil will move in and cause you to be accusatory to everyone else that does not have desire uh, at the level that you are. I want you to know that getting a desire for God is a gift. And it's not for you to to accuse the rest of the church to say, why don't you have the, the desire for God just like I do? Let me say this to you. You've been selected. You've been appointed to demonstrate the desire that you have for God because desire is contagious. The scripture that I use is called, the leech has two daughters. You notice that she procreated. Procreation just means having children or having more. Desire is very, very contagious. Without desire, you cannot have faith. Faith requires desire first. Why is that? Because you're not going to get anything that you don't want. And if you want something, you're going to have to, you'll notice that faith is given to you after the desire is put into you. There's a wonderful scripture that identifies that, and it's in the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 24. That scripture brings out very clearly, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask, why? Ask because you want something. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe. That means faith that you will have it, receive it, and it will be yours. Anything that you find that you desire, do you know that a lot of what you desire is not really you that wants it, but it's God that put it inside of you? God will give you a desire for something. Often the things that we desire in our own self, often is really not of God. The Bible says he will give you the desire of your heart, but he'll put leanness in your soul. That's a scripture. And the reason why I'm bringing that scripture up to you is some of the things that we may want puts an emptiness inside of our heart, inside of our soul. I want it, but I know that it's probably really not really good for me. I know I want it, but it really isn't resonating with my spirit. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And that is exactly what I'm trying to speak about. When God puts a desire inside of you to try to find him, do you know that God purposely hides from us? He doesn't hide hard, but he hides. And the reason why he hides, the Bible says, is so that you will find him. And how will you find him? He says this, the reason why I hide is because I want to know your heart. He says he searches man's hearts, so he hides. He hides really easy. When he plays hide-go-seek with you, he hides in his most ridiculous places. He's much like my youngest son, Nathan. I don't know if you've met my son, Nathan, yet, but he's the tallest of the three boys I've got. Frankie is the second tallest. Jonathan is the smallest. Does anybody love my son, Jonathan, at all? He's, He's a good man. But Nathan, Nathan has always been the worst in hide-go-seek ever. Uh, he, he's the kind of person that when you say, okay, uh, here I come, and if I say, okay, I'm coming to find you, uh, he may be hiding maybe under the bed. And I'll go into the bathroom and I say, aha, he's in the bathroom. And he'll say, no, I'm not, I'm under the bed. <laughs> he used to do that when he was a little boy. 
he would always give it away because he can't, he, he, he can't take it. He has to tell you where he is. Uh, whenever he had a secret, like he was, he's an eavesdropper. He, he loves to listen to other people's business. And when he was a little boy, he used to sit down on, the, on a chair and he'd rock and he'd pound his chin. And I would always say, what's the matter, Nathan? He goes, I know something. I know something. What, what is it, Nathan? Oh, it's a secret. It's a secret. But it's, it's driving him crazy. He wants to tell somebody. I will tell me, Nathan, what, what's the secret? I can't tell you. They told me not to say anything. Oh, Nathan, you know you're going to say it, so just say it. And this is how God is. God is the worst high-go-seeker in the world. Aha, he's in the, under the bed. No, I'm not. I'm in the bathroom. He's always going to let you find him. He's the guy that's hiding behind the curtain, but his feet are sticking out. I remember when Nathan preached for the first time, he was preaching in Lone Star uh, College, and there was about 110 students there, and I wanted to come hear him preach for the first time, but I didn't want him to see me because I didn't want him to make me, I didn't want to make him nervous. So I snuck into the room, it was like an amphitheater, I snuck into the room and I hid behind a pillar much like those in the back there. But as you can clearly see, um, God has blessed me with great bounty. And so as I'm hiding behind the pillar, my stomach is sticking out, and he's preaching, but he's laughing. And finally, he couldn't take it anymore. He says, Dad, I see your stomach sticking out behind the pillar. This is much like God. God is always going to let you find him, but he loves a person that wants him. This is what a congregation needs. Who am I preaching to? Who, who here in this congregation? It's not going to be all of you. It's going to be just some of you. It won't even be half of you. In any given congregation, in my church, in any given church, even the most popular churches in the world, as a matter of fact, the bigger the church, the less the percentage. But there's always that small little faction that has been given a gift of a desire inside of them where they say, much like Jeremiah said, that he feels fire shut up in his bones. I really feel like it's going to be somebody young in your congregation that's just going to cry out one day and you're going to become just like the leech that has two daughters. You're going to procreate. You're going to spread. It's going to be contagious. You're going to have children, if you would, that will also worship the Lord. Not biological children, but it'll be passed on maybe to your mother and father. Maybe to your grandparents, maybe to your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your co-workers. But desire is contagious. If you've ever been around people that have a great desire for something, they almost talk you into it. They almost convince you to become a fan of a, of a team that you don't even live in that city. Like They almost made me a cowboy fan. Uh, but I, I, I've yet to see the... I, don't, I shouldn't say anything bad. <laughs> I guess uh, you should never have gotten rid of Jimmy Johnson. I I guess it gets down to that. But it's really easy to be a a cowboy fan because they look so glorious. And and I I can't stand the the, the New York Yankees because I'm a Boston fan and Red Sox hate the Yankees. But it's really hard to ignore those pinstripes. It's really hard to ignore that gigantic Yankee stadium. It's very hard to take a look at the Yankees and say, uh, after, what is it, 24, 27 World Championships, World Series winners, it's hard to say that they're not the coolest team on the field. And remember, that's the number one team Boston can't stand. I'm from Boston originally. But I have to say to you, to have a desire around people that have a desire for God, 
It is something that is very, very contagious. And I wonder who you are. Instead of insulting or instead of feeling angry toward others that just seem to sit there or doesn't seem to read their Bible enough for you or they they don't seem to fast, they don't pray or they don't participate in the church worship, it's not your place to point and say, uh, I wish that they would be more energetic. I wish, wish they were more interactive. I want you to know that you've been given a gift in the congregation that once you begin to become gesturous, once you become more vocal, once you become uh, more of a proselyting, uh, witnessing person and start filling up these seats with people, I want you to know that that is very attractive to God. And to whom much is given, much is required. But more importantly, uh, whenever he trusts you with little, he, and you fulfill that trust, he will trust you with a lot. Is there anybody here that is much like the Gulf of Mexico where you can't get enough of God? There's another place where it talks about the gravesite or the, or the cemetery. It says here that death cannot get enough death. In the Arlington Cemetery, they bury 146 soldiers every single day. 146 dead soldiers uh, Navy men, seamen, uh, airmen, Marines, SEALs, they are 146 a day. And they said, based upon how large the cemetery is, that they can continue to bury 146 people a day for the next 50 years. And they could probably expand that. I want you to know that the Bible says that hell has enlarged itself, that it's bigger now. And the reason for that is, is originally... Only per, the only individuals that were supposed to actually go to hell was the fallen angels. But because of the sin of man, people are going to hell. And because there's so many in hell now, in both ways, the interpretation of hell as being a burning place of punishment, and also the interpretation of the word hell meaning the grave. There's lots of people dying. As a matter of fact, somebody dies every six seconds. Somebody dies Every six seconds. And most um, people that are living have no idea when they're actually going to die. The sad thing about this is that, once again, hell keeps enlarging itself. Death in hell does not say, too many people, slow it down. Y'all go back to, back to living again. We, we, we have no room here. Well, there's no more room in hell. You just never hear that. And right here in the scriptures, it says that death never says enough is enough. The Bible says wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. In other words, wide is the way that goes to hell. There's a lot of people that are going to go to hell. There's a lot of people that are going to go to hell. You don't really hear a lot of people preaching these days about people going to hell because it's just not a church growth technique. People do not like to hear that. As a matter of fact, 80% of churchgoers say that 80% of their friends and neighbors, relatives and co-workers are going to hell, but they believe that they're going to heaven. I want you to know that there's a lot of people going to hell. As a matter of fact, once again, uh, wide is the gate. Here's a good question to ask you. How wide is wide? 
How wide is going to hell? I mean, how many people abreast are actually falling into hell every six seconds all around the world? But narrow is the way that goes to heaven. How narrow is narrow? Is this, I mean, is it that narrow that very few therein enter, the Bible says, very few therein enter. Death is not something that says enough is enough. Leeches don't say enough is enough. Water going into parched ground does never says enough is enough. Everybody say fire. fire. Can you say fire? fire? Fire never can get enough wood. It never can get enough paper. It never can get enough material to burn. If you keep feeding a fire, it will keep eating and eating and eating. You never feed fire and fire just starts coughing. <coughs> no more. No more. No more wood. No, I can't take another tree. <coughs> no more paper. <coughs> Give me a break. I, need, I, need, I just need 30 minutes to swallow what I've got. Then st- No, you, you don't see that. You, you see fire eating as fast as you can feed it. And that, that's what the Solomon is trying to say in the book of, of Proverbs. I wish that you would be like fire, where you're impossible to satisfy, that you can't get enough of me, meaning God. You can't get enough of the Holy Spirit. That when you pray, you know, when I pray one hour a day, my first 30 to 35 minutes, and I only say this to help you, please forgive the personal reference, but... The first 30 to 35 minutes of my prayer is just to glorify God and to tell him how beautiful he is and to tell him how wonderful he is. Glorify or glory means beauty. So when he says the glory of God, it means the beauty of God, the attractivity of God. What's so attractive about God? I'll tell you what's attractive about God for me is that he's long-suffering. That means it takes a lot for him to get ticked off. I like that. He doesn't say what mom and dad says. You're on my last nerve. My mother used to say that all the time. Frankie, you're on my last nerve. That means I'm about to beat you. That's what, that, that's what it means. God doesn't say that you're on my last nerve. Or how about this one? My mother used to say, I've had it up to here. I've had it up to here. That means you better shut up because she's going to whip you again. And in my days, you used to get beat. These days, it's against the law. But in my days, they beat you half to death. And if my teachers beat me and I went home, I didn't tell my mother because then she'd beat me because my teachers had to beat me. And these days, oh, oh, you, you what? You spanked your children? CPS time, but not in my day. I, would, I was whipped by my coaches. I was whipped by my teachers. The first eight years I went to Catholic school, the nuns beat us half to death. <laughs> they had some inner struggle going on, and they were working it out on us. <laughs> I remember when one of the nuns, Sister Cecilia, knocked Lenny LaFort off of a chair once because he was looking under one of the girls' dresses. Now, we were like in the third or fourth grade, and he, the, Sister Cecilia saw that, and she ran. She was a big woman. She ran across the room, knocked Lady LaFord off of the chair, and started kicking him while he was down. And we're all going, <sighs> Sister Cecilia can really kick good. We weren't really concerned about Lenny, but he was getting kicked really good. And in those days, they had some pretty good shoes. They could kick really good. But nevertheless, in those days, uh, we, we really did understand all of, all of what was going on. And, and I just wonder, I wonder here, is there anybody so hungry for God that you feel like you cannot get enough? I wonder when you're in prayer, 
that you begin to cry because you just can't seem to see, to touch, to reach, to grab, to grab a hold of the hem of his garment. How many times have I prayed, Father, not just for me, just for the congregation, let them see something. Let them hear something. Now, I personally have never seen anything. I've never seen an angel that I know of. I've never heard a choir of angels, but I have met people that have. And the stories they have told me has freaked me out of my living lid. And I love to hear those stories. However, I have never seen it. But I do know that many of you, those of you that have a desire for God, you do desire to see it. I'm afraid he can't myself. I'm afraid of seeing things that are not human. Like an angel appearing before me. It's like, whoa, I'm out of here. But there's, there's something about that where an angel says, like he said to Cornelius, Maz, that's my nickname, Maz, your prayers have come up before God. Your desire has come up before God as a memorial. And he has heard your prayers and he is coming to bless your household. I want you to know that your prayers stack up like a memorial before God. It's in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. If you think that your prayers are going for nothing, think again. The Bible says that he collects all of your, t- all of your prayers in a book. That he collects all of your tears that you cry, he collects them in a bottle. Every prayer that you pray to the Lord, all of your desire is all collected. It does not go unnoticed by God. God hears your voice. He knows your needs before you ever know them. He knows your desires. But out of all of these things, the leech, the water, the fire, the death, and the barren woman, I know I haven't discussed the barren woman. I'm going to discuss that really quickly. When you see the barren woman, doesn't, don't you notice that like in school, circle the one that doesn't belong here. Like for instance, a house, a barn, a garage, and a porterhouse steak. Which one does not belong there? The porthouse steak. So you circle that one and you got that one right. I'm not usually good at that. I'm not good at noticing what doesn't belong in this line. Now, I would have gotten that one right, especially when it's about food. Like, here's one a cake, a pie, a cupcake, and a bicycle. I'll get that one right too. It's the cupcake. No, it's the bike. The bike doesn't belong in there. Now, here's one. This is my last one. A leech, water, fire, death, and a barren womb. Which one doesn't belong there? It's the barren womb. And why is that? Because the leech takes whatever it wants. Water, more water. The land takes whatever it wants. Fire. Fire takes as much as it can get. It never says enough is enough. What else? Death, graves, it never can get enough. Hell, never can get enough. But a barren womb is a woman that cannot sire, cannot, I'm sorry, cannot beget a child, cannot have a child. A woman that wants a baby. Now, if it would have been the other way, where a woman could have as many babies as she wants, that she cannot get enough babies. Could you imagine meeting a woman that cannot have enough babies to make her happy? She's just popping them out as fast as... Another one. There we go. That's 15, 16, 17. I want more. 18, 19 children, 20 children, 24 children. Doesn't somebody want to say enough is enough? You don't see women just having 
quintillion children and wanting as many as you can. Not normally, anyways. I, I know that there's, there's a, a one woman that had uh, eight children at once or something like that, and, and the whole country got mad at her. I forgot why she... I guess it was a social service issue. I, I don't know, but when we look at that, we see... How many children you got? Um, six. Six. You have six children? Yeah. I got six children. Two of them was like, oops, where did that come from? But, you know, we, we, we apologize, you know. Like I, we were only wanting two, a boy and a girl, but they just kept coming. Well, didn't you do something about it? Well, we tried, but, you know, honeymoons and anniversaries and, you know, a little bit too much red wine. You know, you just... But you don't meet people often that have a quintillion. How many children do you have? 101. You don't really meet women like that too often. So this one does not belong there. A barren woman cries for her children. A barren woman cries for a baby. A barren woman wants to birth a child that wants to have her own bloodline continued. A barren woman will often resort to other measures to have children if she can't have her own children biologically. And I want you to know that God often causes us to feel like a barren woman in the congregation where we just can't seem to get enough of God. We seem like there's just never that enough that in my prayer, and I, I have to talk about myself here again, when I'm praying, I just can't seem to somehow break through or reach, seek, knock, probe, and desire. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you just can't seem to push through. So you pray and you pray, and I think that God often causes us to be this way so that we'll keep pressing. And I do believe that one day somebody here is just going to stand up and begin to praise the Lord. And it's going to be just like as if it's electricity. It's going to be sent out through the entire congregation. And everybody's going to say more. And more. And more. I know I'm over time right now. But just let me close with this that I did not share during the 9 o'clock service. One of my friends was preaching the other day. And he says he was in Uganda. And as he was preaching in Uganda. This really got a hold of me. I never heard a story like this in my life. And then the Ugandans were listening to the preacher preach. And what he didn't realize was, is that the Ugandans was really believing what the preacher was preaching. And as he was preaching in his notes, he was acting like as if he was preaching to Americans. Just preaching away. And as he was preaching, the Ugandans, which was many, many hundreds, he could hear a rumble in the Ugandan tongue, we believe. We believe. And as they began to say that, the volume began to increase. And it was full of men. We believe. We believe. And what, what they did was, they started to come forward. We believe. We believe. The man that was preaching didn't know what they were saying. So he got a little nervous. And so he was kind of scooting his podium back. And they were, we believe. We believe. We believe. And they got closer and closer to the front of the platform where it frustrated the preacher so much that he put his notes up and he looked over to the interpreter and the interpreter, he says, what are, what are they saying? He's saying, sir, they believe you. They're hungry for God. The preacher says, I've never seen this in all of my life. 
I didn't expect them to actually believe me. I maybe expected one or two. And they all took and stormed the platform. And they wanted him to touch their heads. They wanted to be blessed. They wanted to hear from heaven. They wanted to hear from God. A revival broke out because of their desire, their hunger for God. And their, their fruit, I saw the film, the, 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 the area, their fruits were growing much larger, their vegetation, the fish were being highly stocked. God began to bless their whole area in their village of Nigeria, Uganda. And people were receiving the Holy Spirit and the witch doctors were being cast out of, the, out of the villages. And in came the preachers laying hands upon the sick and they were being healed. I wonder, is there anybody here that believes? Is there anybody here that has a desire so much that you cannot get enough of God? You can have all the talent in the world in this church. You can have all the education in the world in the church I pastor. You can have all the ability of all the churches put together in the city of Houston. We've got some pretty big churches. But nothing will equate a church that has just two people that has so much desire for God that they can't get enough. Let's put our hands together for the Lord. Pastor.